Hey, I'm Shannon, and this just in, Cupid has blown the co-op. And I'm Emma, and just like that, I forgot to do the book club reading. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> and I'm Devin. Uh, thanks for having me. And I am not a bicycle boy. I'm sorry I can't. Don't hate me. The motherfucker's concise. I revealed too much too soon. I was emotionally slutty. Okay, I'm a big whore. I think we have a stiff breeze. I'll give you a hundred dollars if you say something bitchy about someone we know. That's bullshit, there is no! listeners we have such a special episode today and made even more special because as you just heard we have a lovely guest joining us um devin is is our guest today hello devin welcome hello tell our our listeners a little bit about yourself yeah sure so i am devin uh i teach high school english i'm friends with shannon and emma and part of their book club and uh I don't really watch the show. <laughs> That's perfect. It, it really is a great counterbalance. If Emma didn't read the book and you didn't watch the show or haven't watched the show, then I think you're both coming to this on very equal grounds. Mm-hmm. I have thoughts about the book. Oh, I'm, I'm excited to hear them. I'm excited to hear these thoughts. Um, do you think that you would share this book with your students? No, they thought it was hilarious. I was reading it, though. <laughs> I love that you're a student. So Dev is a high school English teacher. I, I don't know if you mentioned that or not, but um, I think it's so great that your students can like see what you're reading mm-hmm. and make fun of you for it. Yeah. I, <laughs> they, were, they were pretty ruthless, actually. They're like, why are you reading this book? And I was like, because I have to. <laughs> <laughs> we tied you down and made you. <laughs> well, and then I have this thing where I don't like giving up on books. So mm-hmm. if I start a book, I'll finish it. And I was like, I, I have to slog through this one. Well, and it actually, it wasn't that bad. I'm being hypercritical, but. Well, I listened, so I I both read the book and have seen the show. <laughs> but I actually, I listened to the audiobook and it was a special, I don't know, like 20th anniversary, like edition of the audiobook. And it was read by Cynthia Nixon. And they had like very jazzy like interludes in between all of the chapters. Mm-hmm. So it very much like it felt like I was listening to the show in in some parts and very, yeah, an experience. <laughs> I feel like that elevated a little bit more than just reading the book. That's very New York. <laughs> so New York. But yes. I was also thinking about Sex in the City in terms of like different generations because of mm-hmm. course, Shannon, you and I talk a lot about how when we first started watching the show, um, we were teenagers, and except the women were kind of in their early 30s, like at a s- different stage in their life. So I wonder, like, I'd be curious to know, like, your students, Devin, are so, like, <laughs> they Young. were making fun of you and, like, ripping on you for it and stuff. But, like, what do they think about Sex in the City? Like, is it, like, old school? Yeah, a lot of them don't really have like the frame of reference for it. Uh, I, you know, I was like, oh, I'm reading this book, Sex in the City. And then I was like, did anybody watch the show? And there was like, I think like two kids mm-hmm. that were like, oh, I know that show. And I feel like they're like, probably like late 30s, like mom made them. <laughs> yeah. Well, and like the show came up before they were born. 
Yeah. <laughs> that, oh. That's a real stunner. Yeah. The show, this, so we're talking about the Sex in the City book today, which came out in 1997. And the show started in 1998. And it is absolutely wild to think about, yeah, like people that were, yeah, that weren't there. <laughs> I don't know. It just seems. It's really, I don't know, my mind's back to, to kind of think about. Sometimes I'll like play them a song in class and I'll be like, this was a great song, you know, it came out in like 2005 and they're like, we weren't alive. <laughs> that is such a mind fuck. But also from, okay, so it was written in 1997, you said, and the show came out in 1998. Well, it was released in 1997. The, the So... The Sex and the City book is actually a compilation of columns, not unlike the book that Carrie releases in the show as well. Um, so I think the columns themselves, they started in the earlier 90s, and then they were eventually all put together and in, into a book that came out in 97. But it was pretty quick. Like After the book was released, it was really, really popular because the columns... Actually, I think I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about this book um, because a lot of people, I mean, especially if you weren't born yet, <laughs> um, a lot of people don't actually know that the show Sex in the City was based on, on a book. And this book was based on a series of columns that Ostner, author, Ostner, uh, Candace Bushnell wrote in the early 90s um, about her life in Manhattan, about sex, about dating, and this really formed the shape of the show and these columns when they were released i was reading a little bit about this but they were so popular that people specifically subscribed to i think it was the new york observer to to get the the columns because they were just so so popular so the, they were put into a book and the book comes out in 97 and then the show was released in 1998 so if you think about that too that's like a really quick turnaround for this really, really popular column turned into a really popular book um, and then turned into an HBO show that um, became quite massive and kind of different than than the original book and its tone. Um, but yeah, the, the author Candace Bushnell, she created kind of like an alter ego for herself. So we think of Carrie Bradshaw as being like her own character, but Carrie was very much um, created as kind of like this alter ego for Candace to be able to talk about her life and her experiences, dating in Manhattan and all of the all of the sexcapades, um, without actually kind of talking about herself. It was kind of like a way for her to talk about it. Without like disclosing. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Because she does write about like characters based on real people, and there's been a lot of um, there's been a lot of work, investigative work, to try and figure out okay, like who's who, like who is Bicycle Boy, who is Mister mm -hmm. Big, um, who is Samantha based on, or like the young models and actresses. Yeah, yeah totally, totally. Because they, yeah, they all based on on real people. And oh, that's interesting. I'd actually never thought about that. <laughs> yeah. I didn't even know prior to reading the book or seeing any of the show that it was based on like a column. Mm. A lot of fans don't. Like yeah. even people that love the show actually don't realize that it's based on a book or know who Candace Bushnell is. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's really interesting because like 
as soon as you watch the show you get like the framework of course for the episodes every episode is kind of like Carrie's column of the week and that very much was how everything started was like Candace's column in the New York Observer um that yeah I wonder if that's like a detriment to new viewers or new mm -hmm. fans because I think the idea of like a column being popular and people following a column is so far from something that would happen today. Yeah, no, I was thinking about that too, of just like, could this even, could a column like this even exist? Somebody writing about their life and writing about all of these people, all of these experiences, parties and whatnot, um, and using kind of like pseudonyms for them. Like, could that even happen? Because- I guess that would be like a blogger or a podcaster now. <laughs> it, it would be, but I feel like it's a bit of a different flavor in the early 90s because you think like, nobody had a phone like nobody had social media They're, like yeah. you're kind of taking this person's account of everything that happens like at face value there's not really a lot of room for like oh well actually like i recorded like what happened that night and that's like not how it is you know like there's just so many more forms for people to like also talk back mm -hmm. yeah i do wonder if this column could a column like this could exist in a similar format or even exist on a similar scale one i guess what started what i started thinking about was like if carrie bradshaw or candace bushnell had this kind of quasi celebrity following mm. like what would be an equivalent today and i i wasn't really sure because she's kind of like she's in the observer mm -hmm. it's like almost like a tabloid magazine yeah that comments on like the things that are happening currently and mm -hmm. I think that if you're part of that society in upper class New York, it'd be very, well, gossip rich, mm -hmm. which is very exciting. <laughs> mm -hmm. We do love the hot goss. Yeah, no, that's a, that's such a good point. It's almost, it is kind of like a more, um, I don't know, like upper scale version, yeah, of, of celebrity gossip. And I was kind of thinking about this beforehand. Are either of you familiar with Dumois? No. No. So Dumois is, uh, I don't know, this maybe anonymous, maybe not. People have tried to figure out who who's behind Dumois. But it's this Instagram account that posts Hollywood celebrity blinds. But they take in all of these like sightings, all of these tips just from random people that DM them. So it's kind of like this nouveau way of talking about celebrity gossip that's very much like everybody can contribute. It's not just in the hands of a tablet or TMZ or, you know, People Magazine or anything like that. It's kind of this, um, yeah, anonymous person behind an Instagram account that's like, you know, so-and-so cited like at a restaurant and they didn't give me an autograph. They were so mean or something oh, I like see. that. And sometimes you get really juicy ones of like this A-list star with a penchant for reality television fights <laughs> like has broken up with their husband or something like that are they the ones that reported on uh jason sudeikis lying in front of the car <laughs> about the salad dressing <laughs> did you guys hear about that it was like when well I, I, maybe this is off topic that's okay. that's okay jason sudeikis and like olivia wilde when they like broke up apparently it's because she was bringing her like famous salad dressing to Harry Styles. And Jason Sudeikis <laughs> is like, not the salad dressing. And then he like lied down in front of her car so she couldn't leave. <laughs> you know, people are really sensitive about their recipes. <laughs> well, and it's, that's probably like the coffin nail of their relationship. 
right? Yeah. The salad dressing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that could be either a Seinfeld episode or it could be a Sex and the City episode. Totally. Could be, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I did think of George Costanza when I heard that. Like, that seemed like... <laughs> You know what I would love to see <laughs> is like, have you ever seen those? Uh, there's like a Twitter account and there's like, I'm pretty sure there's Instagrams too that are like modern Seinfeld. Mm-hmm. We need like a modern sex in the city and maybe it already exists out there, mm-hmm. but I feel like some of the like dating issues, I guess like that's the thing though about sex in the city. So just to get back to the columns, like to talk about like the actual book itself is like, I think part of the reason that people connected to it so strongly and it had such a quick success is that like nobody had really seen this content before and especially for like women and like minority well not sorry not many (laughs) mostly just (laughs) white women but uh, (laughs) but you know they were able to sort of explore a part of themselves that may have been hidden in the past or like they may have not really been able to talk about um with a really relatable character for them. And I think that's part of the reason it's like the actual content itself that made it so successful. And even like, <laughs> to go back to my other point, like when we look at an account like Modern Seinfeld, it's funny because it's so different because the world has changed so much that like there's also like the joke like, oh, everything in Seinfeld could have been fixed if they had cell phones <laughs> or, yeah. you know. Whereas, like, I think in Sex and the City, the reason, for me at least, that it feels so, like, everlasting is, like, that these themes of, like, relationships and dating, like, sure, some of them are maybe a bit aged, but I think a lot of them are still, like, really prevalent. Like, that's why, you know, people still relate to the show today when they start watching it. Yeah, that's that's such a good point. And I think that, um, yeah, when this column, when these columns in this book was originally released, it was it was kind of seen as revolutionary for women to talk about sex and dating so openly and so frankly. And we'll talk about the characters of Carrie and Mr. Big and and all of the characters in this book because they are a little bit different than the show. But all of them are kind of, they have this dark side to them. You kind of like get their, um, you get some like different intentions behind these characters that like don't necessarily come off um, in the show. And it's, yeah, it, this book just um especially I guess the columns being published in the New York Observer too something that um I was reading about was that the New York Observer was kind of seen as this boys club Mm -hmm. it was very like full full of toxic like masculinity full of men and even this column being published in such a public format was yeah it was completely revolutionary so it's hard to think about yeah what would be the equivalent like revolutionary kind of aspect that could happen i remember being aware of the show like in high school and i had a friend and every time i would go to her house she hated friends Mm -hmm. and so i would make her watch friends when she came (laughs) over and then she would make me watch sex in the city when i went to her house and i remember not really being into it but being i guess aware of how candidly they talked about sex and relationships and hearing it from like a woman's perspective and at the time I mean, not that I was really familiar with anything in that realm, but that's what I think is so striking about mm-hmm. the show, the column, the book. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was like a trailblazer in that sort of sense, yeah, at least in the public sphere, popular sphere. Definitely. And I think too, like not to, to add to that and come back to your point, Emma, like 
it was also this kind of like glamorized vision of what adult life could be as a woman that was very separate from and we've talked about this before um those kind of classic life milestones that for so long for many decades continue to this day um kind of are the societal implicit standard for a lot of women a lot of femme folks to to follow to get married to have children settle down in the suburbs to kind of like okay fun party time of your 20s is over like time to get real time to grow up but the show and this book to to a large extent as well it shows like a bunch of adults that like they're just enjoying kind of adulthood and they're they're toying with some of those questions but it's really like their lives are happening and they're being lived and like they're I don't know they're full (laughs) human people like even if they they haven't um, achieved some of those milestones yet well I kind of want to hear um Devin like what are your thoughts like what do you know about the show what are your thoughts about the show do you have any kind of like preconceived ideas of Carrie Mr. Big or or any any of the characters <laughs> yes <laughs> I think this is I was thinking just about the last point that you were talking about like them living their lives and I think this is what I was coming in kind of thinking about mm-hmm. was the show and the book I kind of have a distinct opinion of in in different ways but especially reading the book <laughs> I, like is this a satire <laughs> mm-hmm. like I'm not really sure like it, it just seems like there's and I mean, maybe this is my own read on it, but there's like so much superficiality mm-hmm. that's happening and like the lack of fulfillment. And I mean, the way the book ends, yeah. I'm like, is this a criticism of this life or is it a celebration? And I couldn't really figure it out. And that's one of the things that like, I think hindered my overall, maybe I would say enjoyment and understanding of the book. Whereas I don't feel that way with the episodes I have seen of the show. It felt a lot more authentic and like applicable. Right. Yeah. The show, I think, kind of takes out kind of like it it takes out some of those like darker aspects that I think really come through in the book of like, yeah, like are are these characters good people? Is everybody kind of like mean? Is everyone well, like kind everybody of... cheats on each other? Yeah. <laughs> They're they get caught up with like who owns certain things. Like, whose apartment are they doing coke at? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm like not even as old as some of these people in, <laughs> in these vignettes. And I was like, is this, do we not evolve our lives past this point? Is mm-hmm. this just what everybody pretends? I don't know. Yeah, kind of like that elongated, like, I don't know, university party phase. Yeah. So I guess like after reading the book for you, being familiar with the show, what was your takeaway of like the book? Yeah, I, okay, so I have seen the show now so many times. I have, like, an encyclopedic knowledge of <laughs> of all of these quotes and lines, and, and listening to the book, I was shocked at how many l- direct lines, direct, like, uh, quotes, direct pieces of dialogue made it to the show that are word for word, same in the book. And if you if you watch the first episode of Sex in the City, pretty much one to one with like the very chapter of the book or the first column that the book goes into, where Carrie is um, 
talking about this English journal journalist, I believe. I can't actually remember what her profession was, but named Elizabeth, who moves to Manhattan, starts dating. Some sort of writer. Yeah, yeah some sort of writer. And she starts dating this guy, and uh, they are looking at real estate together, and then he slowly ghosts her, and she calls him saying, like, what what's happening? And, you know, that kind of leads to Carrie saying, like, ah, oh, no one's told her. Love is dead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is very much, the, uh, yeah, that is just like a one-to-one um, almost of, like, the tone that the show started off on. And something that I was really reflecting on is a very distinct arc in the show and how much it deviated from this original kind of piece of the book. So the book, I guess, um, to, to talk about it a little bit more, um, more in depth is kind of like, yeah, a series of vignettes with a bunch of these Manhattan characters. Lots of people are wealthy, um, elite, very well connected, um, kind of like the glitterati of, of Manhattan. But, um, well, and this is this is another question I had. Yeah. Is it seems like at the beginning of the book, which I'm going to assume are just taken from columns that mm-hmm. she had already published. Yeah, it seems as though she is writing uh, from this persona. But then early in the book, she talks about her friend Carrie. Yeah, and then, but then later on, I'm unsure if like she adopts the persona of Carrie, or if she's speaking about Carrie, or if she is Carrie. <laughs> I was also confused about that. Um, and I guess like there are columns missing in between. So really, really early columns, uh, Candace Bushnell just like talked like in first person. Mm-hmm. And then she created this other character, Carrie. And then I think there was kind of that slow bleed into like, oh, actually Carrie, Carrie is me. Um, but yeah. that did not, yeah, I completely agree. That was not very clear. Um, and I went into reading this book thinking like, oh, Car- like Carrie's one of the characters that like, you know, Candace knew and, and like based this other character off and then I was like wait a second where's Candace yeah. in this book why is this all about Carrie and and Mr. Big um but she refers to herself as a sexual anthropologist and yeah. she she goes around uh and this is the same in the show too and something that I think really informed the first couple of seasons of the show where they have a lot of these vignettes these talking heads with random characters that are talking about a very specific theme in the show and you really get that in the columns because there's constantly talking with other people, um, you know, getting their input, their insight on like, you know, something that Carrie is thinking about for that week. Um, Toxic Bachelors is a really good example. Um, serial daters, modelizers, those are all terms that, you know, made it to the show that made it as that episode. But that was what she was really looking at throughout the columns and, and in the book. So I was I was just shocked that there was so much overlap, and I can just see how much of that really scaffolded um, the start of the show. And then I think, and I can get into this in a little bit, but the show really took a turn. Um, it became something, something different. It like mm-hmm. evolved past that, and I think that's like what made people love it so much. Well, and I think it's necessary. Yeah. Thinking about what the column and the book are really doing is just. I guess exploring these stories that people are tangentially aware of and then if you're going to turn that into a show there needs to be some sort of like thorough narrative that people can feel connected to and understand and I guess Carrie is like the vessel (laughs) yeah 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 kind of like that connection point Mm -hmm. the book was not what I expected at all I agree like very 
loosely a book as yeah. it is a connection or a, a co- collection of columns. <laughs> and it made it like, because I've read like essays before, like collections mm. of essays, but it felt like very interesting because it felt like a collection of essays about these characters that continue throughout all of the essays. But like we don't necessarily always get like that full like backstory, that full lead up of like what's happening, like what's happening in between all of these stories. So it kind of felt like I was being dropped into different stories with different people. And yeah, it was kind of lacking that really strong through line for me with Carrie because I was so confused. Who is Carrie? <laughs> well, especially even the minor characters, I was like, you know, I just, there were certain names that I latched onto because I remember them from the show. Because mm-hmm. like, you don't forget a name like Stanford Blatch. You sure don't. And I'm like, oh, I know that guy. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, was, I found it hard to kind of keep track of like who these stories were about. Mm-hmm. That's interesting because I mean, the show is so, and like Shannon, you and I have talked about this before, how that's such a strong theme of the show is like the strength of their friendships and like the characters are so well developed and it's just interesting to hear <laughs> from someone who ha- didn't read the book that you know that seems like a little bit more wishy-washy like underdeveloped characters like I don't know that's the impression I'm getting from what you're saying <laughs> yeah but I guess it would be at the same time unfair to criticize this for lack of narrative, because I don't think that was the intention. Mm. Um, I guess it just, I was taken aback because it was different than what I expected. For me, it wasn't necessarily that the characters were like really underdeveloped, but how they all related together and like why they were all friends with one another, that for me was like really missing. And there's so many side characters in the book that are in the show and specifically in the show in the first couple of seasons. So we got Skipper coming in. We have Stanford, like you mentioned, Devin. We also have Amelita, who has a like almost a more full character in the book because she she was that like was she the really like sassy like socialite. Yeah, yeah, and then she kind of, like, she has a a daughter, and, you know, she, she, I think she gets married, and she settles down, and Carrie kind of sees, like, oh, this is what what it is to, like, have kids and and be married, which you don't see in the show. In the show, she's kind of portrayed as, um, you know, a, yeah, a fun party girl that travels the world and hooks up with guys and has a lot of designer clothes, and that's true in the book, too, but in the book, we also got this other side of her. Um, and it's the same for a lot of those like smaller characters. Truman, or not Truman Capote. Ooh, that is a real person. Uh, Capote Duncan was another right. very small side character that comes up in the show, but he is he is present in the book. He's everywhere. I don't know. It's uh, that was really interesting. He's like one of those talking heads in the first couple of I think the first few episodes were like just randomly. Oh no, actually in the first episode. Samantha, Charlotte goes on a date with him and then Charlotte doesn't want to sleep with him because she doesn't want to sleep with a guy on the first date and so he's like okay and then he shares a cab with her as she's going home so he can go to a club and hook up with somebody else who ends up being Samantha um, and that's not exactly what happens in the book but that Lucy character Goss. yeah <laughs> <laughs> what do we think about I guess the character of Carrie and her relationship with, with Mr. Big this was a big so I guess this is kind of um what became the a through ish line and kind of these 
columns culminated in Carrie and Mr. Big dating. And then at the very end, it's quite tumultuous. And Carrie is kind of like, our relationship is sufficient. And she finally gets Mr. Big to say, I love you. And she's like, don't make me vomit. <laughs> and there, it, she just seems so ambivalent about it, like towards the end of the book. And of course, the relationship with Carrie and Mr. Big is such a huge part of the show. So I'm curious, like, what, um, yeah, what, what are your thoughts about that? Okay, so in the show, what did, what did we watch together, Emma? Was it the Sex and the City 2 movie? No, we watched the original. Okay, that's the one where Carrie gets, like, left at the altar. Yeah. Okay, yeah, okay. Um, it's, and this is, going back to my point before, is I, I'm, like, is this book a satire of mm. this type of life? Because when we look at like Carrie and Mr. It's also hilarious. His name is Mr. Big. Mm-hmm. Um, when we look at like their relationship, like it's not good. Mm. <laughs> and as soon as it is good, one of them does something to like sabotage themselves and their relationship. And it just made me wonder like, what is the story that she's telling is it just like the story of these like people who are like cursed to be unhappy forever mm. like yeah exactly like you said when he he finally is like seemingly somewhat ready to commit to her and says he loves her she's like uninterested and i'm like what the fuck <laughs> yeah and because emma obviously you're really familiar with the arc of carrie and mr big throughout the show like what i don't know like what do you think hearing that like that does that kind of affect your opinion of how Carrie acts specifically in those first two seasons where things are really tumultuous with her and Mr. Big? Does that like kind of change your opinion on Carrie? I mean, it's hard to say. Like we've, we've talked about Carrie before very much, you know, there's a lot of Carrie hate out there from the show specifically. Um, But the way I kind of see Carrie is a character with flaws (laughs) and someone who makes mistakes, um, which is why I think that she's more relatable. But they're big. I kind of, I don't know if that comes off as surprising because their relationship in the show is like all over the place. Like it is a roller coaster and they both fuck up many, many times. And like, maybe that's what they're trying to say. Like, and while I don't agree with the message, like true love, like I'm sure there's an actual... (laughs) saying but you know what i mean like what is the saying love conquers all Mm. there you go we got there but um which is something i don't agree with but i do kind of feel like that is a little bit of the messaging that i get from the show and is there a happy ending like for for uh, carrie and mr big in the tv series yes it is a very romanced last episode or a big base it's very like damsel in distress and he saves right. her and then they're in love and yeah, you don't get that in the book no. like he seems kind of like a piece of shit but oh, okay. but he's also i guess to be fair to him he's like honest for the most part yeah, for the most part he'll just like leave sometimes and he'll show up with a different girl which is not cool oh. yeah so what is carrie's like constant is it like the whole like you want what you can't have thing or like, what do you think it is that makes Carrie, like, keep running back to Mr. Big in the books? I don't know. <laughs> I wonder if it's testing to herself what kind of life she wants. Does she want a husband, like, long-term? Does she want to settle down and, like, move to the Hamptons and, you know, kind of, like, do that whole thing? 
and I think in the show it comes off a lot as like Carrie you're being like manic like what are like what are you so concerned and worked up about but in the book you get more of that you want this to work like (laughs) are you intentionally like doing some shit to like to make him mad at you to like you know kind of throw the relationship almost into the wind like she refers to him as like kind of replaceable at the end like you know I think she straight up says that at one point yeah and Carrie in the show would never do that like she wanted Mr. Big to commit well and maybe thinking about it in that way it's like having her be like a, a gossip columnist I guess if that's what she is like she just like lives her life through other people mm-hmm. and and i guess in all of the little sections of the book like you know she's going out um and like experiencing and writing on all these different things but it, she's also simultaneously like intrigued but also i got the feeling that she's kind of like repulsed by it mm-hmm. too like you know she talks about like threesomes or she has that friendship in the book with that model who might be interested in her mm-hmm. and she's like i could sleep with her but i don't really want to <laughs> mm-hmm. And, and then they go to the Hamptons and there's the family and the mom who used to party with them and Samantha or uh, Carrie's like, I don't know how you guys could do this without drinking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and it's just like everything that she experiences, she like hates on, mm-hmm. which I, I, I don't didn't find like that I disliked her, but I'm just like, what? Do you want <laughs> no for for sure like that that was definitely like the question that was circling for me like reading or listening to the book and in the show I think you get more of that like a, a little bit crisper a little bit clearer because you don't necessarily have like all of those like side vignettes all of that like internal like monologue nearly to the same extent like you really get that Carrie wants big to commit Carrie loves big Carrie wants big mm-hmm. and I think so a really interesting thing that I learned about recently there's a an article that came out with um Candace Bushnell who's talking about the relationship of Carrie big in the show versus the book and she says um I think in real life Carrie and big wouldn't have ended up together but at that point the tv show had become so big viewers got invested in the storyline of Carrie and big and it became a little bit like Mr. Darcy and Elizabeth Bennett so he kind of thinks that their relationship wouldn't have lasted and according to some of the lore of the show in season two when Carrie and Big finally break up for last time and he marries you know kind of like boring beige Natasha that was supposed to be the end of their relationship and yeah like I, I it just kind of weird to think about what the show could have been if it had continued on that path and Carrie had ended up alone at the end of the show, kind of like how um, Candace was originally thinking um, versus having that like sweeping like love story, that arc. Because yeah, Carrie's not really looking for true love in the book. It, she very much is a sexual anthropologist who's like, yeah, I just want to like learn about all these different things. But She's like, like cataloging yeah. different experiences. Yeah. Do you think that, like, cynicism that seems to be, like, a little bit more prevalent in the book, do you think that because the show sort of, I mean, it was, like, revolutionary for its time. It was touching on these topics that hadn't really been addressed before and and everything. So I wonder if, like, that cynicism was maybe just, like, too much for the show. Like, it's like, no, like, people still, like you said, like, 
they became invested in this relationship and they became invested in this sort of like Disney love equals happiness, like marriage is the end all to happiness or whatnot. So maybe it was just like they weren't able to really fully translate that sort of like, oh, I'm just exploring, like I'm just an anthropologist, like seeing what's out there. Like they're like, no, we actually need it to be more like a, like a movie with a happy ending, you know? Well, with you reading the book, Shannon, mm -hmm. did you pick up on this like critical or like satirical read or is that just me? <laughs> no, I I agree. I agree. Um, I like that you I like that you phrased it as a satire because I was just like, oh, this is kind of dark like that. That was kind of the word that really came mm. up to me. But I do think you're right. It is like kind of a satirical portrait of this very elite group of adults who in a lot of ways are acting like children running mm -hmm. around the city like having sex doing drugs uh, going to parties and I think like to your point Emma like does that can you keep doing that for a show over six seasons and like not have any of these characters grow and if they are growing like how are they growing and I think it's really interesting that the show took such well, maybe not such a a different... No, actually, I think it did. So when we talk to anybody who's familiar with the show and they rewatch it, like a lot of the times you'll hear people say like, oh, I start my rewatch at season three. I like to start at season four. Sometimes you get a little bit of season two, but there, for people, there's usually a really clear point of like, oh, this is when I really got into the show. And it was after for a lot of people that kind of framework of the book that set the tone for the show if that makes sense it's kind of like after season one even after season two and you get that like kind of really crystal clear through line of like Carrie's looking for true love she's looking for all-consuming like can't live without you kind of love and I think by that point as well they also realize that the gem of the show is the relationship with the four women and that for me was something that was missing from the book. They didn't really seem like friends. No, they like barely knew each other. Yeah. <laughs> they like knew of each other. Yeah, so Emma, some of the characters in the book um, obviously are a little bit different. Like Charlotte's barely in it. She's a, what, like a sex crazed, like English uh, profession escapes me. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember either. Yeah. And, uh, it was weird for me because I think she's my favorite in the show from mm, what I've seen. Yes, I wanted to ask you about that. Like, how is that difference for you and in, in that character specifically? I don't know. I guess I haven't seen much of the show. And I think from what I understand, it's kind of a hot take that I like Charlotte. <laughs> I think it's it's interesting that you say that because I think that the favorite has really, because the show is 20 years old now. Yeah. Over 25. Oh, my gosh. So, and I think that actually people used to, because obviously now Samantha is a very popular choice for being their favorite. Miranda is a very popular choice in a sort yeah. of like newer age of feminism as well. But like Samantha used to be hated. Like she wasn't a favorite character. Really? I, well, not hated is not the right word, but like people loved Charlotte. Like Charlotte was very much, I think, one of the more popular characters. Or am I just pulling this out of my ass? <laughs> <laughs> I know that Samantha was popular, but I, I I can't I can't really say for like when the show first came out. Like that like I could absolutely see that in like a changing tide of, you know, people really being drawn to this character that was like loud and flamboyant and like just put herself out there like 
unabashedly so and sam's character in the book is similar-ish in that way she's a movie uh producer right Mm -hmm. and um, loves having sex with younger men a little bit older but yeah just again that friendship is not is not there she just kind of like pops in from time to time and it's very cute she has a lot of um a lot of the things that she'll say in the book are kind of like undercutting in a way so carrie's talking about i think a column or a book something that she's writing to to samantha and she's like you know it's not it's not like tolstoy um you know it's it's not trying to be um and samantha's like oh that's cute yeah that sounds great and then you know carrie's kind of like monologue in the book is but of course she wanted it to be like tolstoy yeah um but yeah sam will just like kind of say those like oh yeah that's cute yeah and i can hear kim cattrall saying that like when i grew up with mannequin too so Mm. like i love kim cattrall (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, she is a gem on this earth. <laughs> With Charlotte, is she... Because the opinion I have of her is, like, she's very, like, prim and proper, like, waspy, and, like... I, I think she's got really great facial expressions, which is why I like her. But I could also, without seeing the show, imagine that maybe she didn't age that well as a character. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if she was just, like, straight-up racist. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> well, and just like that really wants you to believe she's not. She has black friends. Yeah. Oh, God. So this is like a thing? That, they, like... they do kind of... Well, we won't get into it just like that but... okay. <laughs> while we're recording. But yeah, they do sort of try to counter that point, I think, a little bit in mm. the reboot. But I think... I mean, we've kind of talked a little bit before about how Charlotte is sort of a more like she's definitely not people's favorites a lot of the time but but she really has moments of strength like I actually really like Charlotte it was a very I I mean I love all of them I I was a Carrie hater for a long time following the crowd and and realized that that I mean that's the whole appeal it's like they're characters and friends and they have flaws and they fight and they why do people dislike Carrie well, I think because they, when you watch the show and you see her like make so many mistakes and do a whole bunch of like really cringy things, it's really hard for people to be like, oh yeah, love that mm. character. And they like kind of shit all over Carrie for a lot of decisions that she make that seem, uh, you know, wrong. Or she she does make some bad decisions. She, does, she yeah. absolutely does. And she's like, very cringy. I saw that one where they're at the bar. And I think it was like a guy's group of friends was there and she went to go talk to the friends and that was hard to watch. (laughs) And when you're just watching that, like I I can understand like that kind of take of like, um, and I think there could be some themes of like, you know, when a man does it, (laughs) when a popular TV show, you're like, yeah, (laughs) anti-hero. But when Carrie does it, it's like, oh God shut up like why why are you doing this this is so hard to watch and you really get in the book that internal monologue of like just there yeah there's something a little like more twisted like you know she's it doesn't come off so much as like making mistakes so much as just like intentionally kind of playing with the fire i think there's also like a disproportionate amount of like sarah jessica parker hate online which i don't understand yeah, what are what are your I love your thoughts on on Sarah Jessica Parker. Oh, she's great. She's so hot. <laughs> she is beautiful. Oh, I like her with the big hair. I like her with the slick back hair. I like she got some weird outfit choices sometimes. I mean, I got some 
takes about that. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I like her. I like her in Hocus Pocus. <laughs> I like that was one thing for me reading the book was like I could hear Sarah Jessica Parker say so many of Carrie's lines. She's perfect. Perfectly cast in that role, in my opinion. Like that was really strengthened for me after after reading it. Like perfect casting. I can't. I literally couldn't see anybody else like as Carrie. At you think the same for the other characters? Samantha, I got I got wisps of it, like kind of in some of those, like, oh yeah, that's cute, like cute little movie, cute little story. Like I <laughs> I could see that. Yeah, Miranda was like a coke addicted uh, cable exec. Is that right? Yeah, I wasn't really sure, and it's hard for me to comment on like the characters because not knowing anything really except the few episodes in the movie that we watched i was like looking for these people mm. so then when i saw the name i'm like oh, okay now this is what i'm picturing and hard to divorce yourself from that well you know to go back to charlotte a little bit i do wonder if that was like a very intentional move to like make her character in the show much more prim and pro proper and conservative to kind of balance out uh you know basically all the other characters in the book that are like very sex crazed that are very like you know i don't know more more out there in a way that like maybe when this was released in the late 90s that wasn't necessarily like the popular take to have at the time like they wanted to balance out these characters like exploration of sexualities in a way that like is not as balanced in the book that makes sense you don't want all of the same right you want that yeah. the drama <laughs> yes yes but yeah that that to say to sorry to jump back to miranda that i didn't i didn't get anything <laughs> miranda hobbs esquire <laughs> from the book um in the in the character the show character but yeah it's probably so important to like i mean <laughs> it sounds like the book is like lots of drugs and darkness and all that kind of stuff but they really needed that foil to make the show mm -hmm. work like they needed them to the book is kind of fun it's yeah. kind of fun dramatic yeah yeah it's um like i was kind of envisioning like the real housewives mm -hmm. like that that show but you know kind of less like campy and dorky and a little bit more like if the real housewives was on hbo kind of thing and you know real housewives like mixed with maybe like some sopranos i don't know like there there's kind of like a, a crossover that i was to that I was thinking of to maybe paint a picture. Maybe that's incorrect. I don't know. I have to think about that more. <laughs> but it was fun. Like I, I can imagine, and like as a person subscribing to the paper in the '90s and like reading about what's happening, like maybe you, you don't live in Manhattan, and like to read that, you're you're getting kind of like this glimpse into this completely different world, completely different than anything you know or enjoy and I guess maybe that's the Real Housewives comparison for me is like you get to watch these like wealthy women just you know live a completely different than anything that you could imagine and it's just enjoyable right it's like fun whatever <laughs> fun viewing well then the foil to that I guess is like the the older men whose entire lives circle around sleeping with like underage models yeah. and I think there was even a part to explain i guess for emma where they were getting interviewed about like which of them because the models all go out in the same group together and so the guys devised like this like stratagem on like which girls to approach 
that they'll have the most success with sleeping with. Mm-hmm. And it was like, I think it was, it was not the new girls because mm-hmm. they're always with a seasoned girl, but it was like the girls who are like 22 and are starting to get aged out by the young ones. <laughs> that, that sounds the Barney Stinson of it all. <laughs> yeah. But, but like some of these guys in the chapters that were talking about this, like there was like a guy who was in his fifties and he'd been like married like five times and this is this is like his entirety of his existence, and so and this is where I was like, is this a satire? Because because mm-hmm. I'm like reading a chapter about you know whether it's Carrie or Candace, and and then all of a sudden I'll go back to these guys again, and it's like this is happening simultaneously in concentric circles of these people. Mm-hmm. It's like, what is the story here? Yeah, I I really appreciate that you bring that up because that. To me, I walked away from this book thinking like, I don't really like any of these. No, none of them. And I kind of love that when we're specifically talking about all of these like toxic bachelors, like modelizers, um, a lot of these old men that are just like perpetually dating. I love that it didn't glorify that in a way that I think a lot of shows did. A lot of shows really glorified that Mm -hmm. kind of masculine... um, hunt for women um the strategy of like yeah. we hook up with like pick up artists girls as possible yeah and i love your reference to emma of barney stinson from how i met your mother because that is such an excellent example of how that character and their choices were glorified on tv and i love that this book doesn't glorify that mm-hmm. although it had me wondering like it's easy now to look at that and be like this is gross mm-hmm. not ideal mm-hmm. I wonder if in 94 to 96 it was seen as like this is something that's cool. Mm. I don't know. But I also Yeah. Well, definitely normal in these circles or so it would seem, but um I think being written by a woman too definitely has an impact on like the tone. I guess this is I was saving this, but this is the biggest criticism I had of the book and I think inherently probably a criticism of just like columns in general and compilations but I felt like there was no consistency of like tone Mm. of like what is I still feel like I don't actually know who Carrie slash Candace is even after reading the entire book of her columns I have no information about who she is or what she wants or what the purpose of her documenting these things is yeah I agree with that and yeah, conversely on the show, like I think we do get a pretty clear picture. Maybe that's what makes it like more enjoyable for people to watch. Of like you, you kind of understand these people like much more clearly than just being dropped in. Like, who who are these characters? Like, how how do you all know each other? Well, I think we've talked about. I mean, when you watch Sex and the City, it is kind of like stepping into a fantasy. It's like a, it, because it is very much like a like a whitewashed like it's a whole other world yeah it's a whole other world that's like not really even a real world or like i can't even i don't know yeah it's it's very much like a fantasy and like shannon and i have kind of like talked about like a sort of like this aspirational like thing to look towards but also like that it's not very real but i think with the the book it's like where and that's what's so appealing about the show and then it sounds like the book is like okay why like who cares like, because it, it just seems, like, dark and miserable and sad and, like... I might be pulling more of my own, like, bias into this, too, because the only, like, when I read this, the only, I guess, context of, like, 
socialite New York life is like this and American Psycho. And, and one is clearly a satire. And then so I just maybe might be projecting that onto this, whereas maybe the purpose is to document it authentically and show the good and bad. I will say, and this will probably make you guys happy, is in the book, despite its flaws and the issues I had with it, it made me interested to watch the show. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always so happy. when I, One of our friends, Ellen, shout out to Ellen, because she's going to listen to this for sure, um, had never seen the show. And she, being a good friend, listened to the podcast and has now seen every single episode and both movies. Whoa. And I think she's starting on just like that. Both and movies. Give Ellen her flowers. <laughs> second movie. I heard the second one's trash. Oh, I, we won't get into it. But yeah, it's very bad. So, I mean, we'll watch with you anytime if you want to watch the show. Yeah. I think I've probably seen a collective of like six episodes and the first movie. They, it is a show that works well in order, yeah. like if starting from the beginning. And I like the first few seasons. I know that is a bit of a hot take, so maybe I would enjoy this book, but um, because it's so similar to the first few seasons. But yeah, I would say start from the beginning. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, there's there's really juicy topics in the beginning that I think kind of fade out a little bit more towards the end of the show where they're talking about like, uh, I don't know, kind of larger themes, whereas at the beginning of the show, they're talking about very specific sexual um, topics. Anal sex is one, threesomes. They talk about um, monogamy, single people. Um, there's a lot, or modelizers was uh, discussed in the second episode, so men that perpetually date models. Um, and you kind of like fade that fades out a little bit more as you continue on throughout the show and it becomes a little bit more focused on the women their relationships finding love um and a little bit less of that kind of like overt like sexual aspect so like i i loved reading the book because i feel like it just really informed why the show is the way it is and like how how it evolved how it grew i i love the first couple of seasons like there's there's some great I don't know. I like I like the whole thing. I'm probably the worst person to ask. Watch it all. <laughs> I will say the book and the movie, or the book and the show, do seem very white. Is that like a criticism of it? There's, there's not a lot of minority people. <laughs> no, that's that's been a long criticism throughout the show. And um, I mean, even just thinking about like 90s in, in New York City and Manhattan, like I can imagine probably there was definitely... A very strong racial discrepancy between like the the wealthy people that were elites and in power and oh, yeah. inherited money or you know had really big corporations and you know people that that weren't and actually i kind of want to talk about this too because this is an interesting thing that has also come up as a criticism for the show which is the issue of class and wealth yeah i kept wondering like as a column writer, does she have enough money to like float this existence? No. So that okay. So Carrie in the book or Candace, there's a point where she talks about like she doesn't have enough money to make rent and her rent is three hundred dollars a month. She's like making less than eight thousand dollars a year. She sleeps on a piece of foam. She ah. um like a very like clearly talking about struggling to to be writer and i think there's like one kind of tiff with mr big 
where she kind of yells at him and says like you don't understand what it's like to only have enough money to eat hot dogs for the whole month like that's it like I couldn't afford anything and that makes sense like you know struggling as a writer like maybe um yeah just like not not getting that like for sure income if you don't have a steady column or a steady gig like that and the show that is just not a conversation that's being had like Carrie shows up in a mink or I know it's mink now but Carrie shows up in a fur coat in the first (laughs) season and it's kind of like okay you're a writer and like how are you how are you like a thirty thousand dollar jacket yes (laughs) But in the book, Mr. Big gives her that jacket. Yeah. And there's a little bit more of a reflection of like Carrie's uncomfortable in some of these like really wealthy circles. And like Does she use it as a blanket on the foam bed. I have that like image, but mm-hmm. I don't know if I made it up. Well, now I can just see that. I feel like that's. <laughs> I feel like that's a really good like. We should know, make a, a new adaptation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's it. It's a bunch of like privileged rich people. Um. But if those are the circles that she's in, right, I'd, those are the stories that she tells. But that that is really good to bring up that, yeah, just they're, they're all white people, seemingly. Most race really isn't talked about, like, at all in the book. Really not in the show either. Um, but it is interesting that the theme of wealth, it wasn't like a strong theme throughout the book, but there were points where I'm like, oh, this is this is a little bit more insightful. This is a little bit more honest than in the show where you're kind of always wondering like, how can Carrie float this lifestyle? How can she afford to like go out all the time like to dinner? Like New York's expensive. Like how is she making that work? Yeah, and they kind of touch on it in a few episodes, but it's it's very much like one of those things where it's like, oh, I feel like the writers were like, we need to address this topic, and then they write it, and like it was like the bisexual episode. It's like mm, we should address this, and then it was like they did the episode, wiped their hands, and walked away. Whereas like, what happened we with talk- the bisexual episode? Pardon? What happens in that episode? Oh, a lot. You should listen to our episode about it. Yeah, <laughs> I'll have to go back. But it was just like like. With a topic like wealth and class that is so much part of this story and so much part of their lives, like that should be a theme. Like, I mean, it doesn't have to be blatant in every episode, but it should be a theme that's like woven into it. But it's not because they're in a fantasy land. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that makes it just like more real. Like Carrie is a person that, you know, even in the show, like doesn't seem to come from wealth. So, like, her position in this world, like, how did you get here? How did you get so connected? Like, how do you know all of these, like, people? Like, what led you to this uh, circle in the first place? And it's just, it's not really talked about. You're just kind of, like, you have to, you almost have to suspend your disbelief to, like, really enjoy the show in that way. But talking about that just makes the character, like, more real. And I, I don't know, I like, I could... I think that's really interesting and and now and and just like that not to deviate too much but you know Carrie is widowed and assuming like inherits a shit ton of money and now she like never has to worry about about that and oh does big die oh yes (laughs) (laughs) spoiler (laughs) they didn't know what to do with him so they killed him (laughs) yeah because isn't he a piece of shit yeah and I think they also I mean with the reboot they had to come up with a new story right so they killed them off bye mr big (laughs) easy way to do it so the book 
kind of talks about, um, or at least it starts off with uh, Carrie, Candace, uh, this this person <laughs> leading us on this journey. Um, she refers to, I guess, the setting of the book as the age of uninnocence. A really strong theme throughout the show of a lot of adults knowingly making choices for themselves that are like not good (laughs) or you know knowingly kind of going on these adventures escapades with like kind of um not great intentions like they know they know what they're doing they know what what they want to get which is very different than the age of innocence the age of like coming as, as a like young person that doesn't really know any of that that doesn't know any of like the dark seedy side of uh of love and of dating so um, this was a quote by Candace Bushnell, right? The Age yeah, of Innocence. It's, it's in the book, yeah. And then she also uh, talked about the Carrie, Mr. Big thing being like uh, Elizabeth Bennett, Mr. Darcy. Yeah. She's just like obsessed with like period piece, like romance. Because like the Age of Innocence is like a, have you guys seen it? Like very romantic Edith Wharton book. Martin Scorsese made a movie of it. Yeah, no, well, she, she references Edith Wharton um, at the beginning of her book and kind of get the sense that she wants to tell and I think this goes back to your point about how it's a satire um, really well that she wants to tell this story that's like it's not that that romance it's not Mr. Darcy and Elizabeth Bennet like getting together at the end it's not you know rainbows and roses and like the the thing where everything works out there's mm-hmm. there yeah there's like that seediness underneath well, it focuses more on like the the drama and the the strife between them. Like I I think of like you know Elizabeth Bennet and Mr. Darcy having their back and forth kind of like tiffs a little bit, and then it reminds me of the chapter of the book where it's like a heat wave in Manhattan, and she doesn't have air conditioning, but she doesn't want to ask to go to Mr. Big's place, so she has to wait until she's like invited. So she like drops hints and like that comparison i felt very deeply but it's also like weirdly kind of the most enjoyable part for me yeah i mean i would be curious like how the show would be different if it followed a little bit more closely like what what the book is what these columns originally were but i think why the show got so big was that it clued in on like yeah this is what people like this is what people want people people want that yeah they want that kind of story do we know how Candace Bushnell feels about the show? She support. That's a great question. Um, as far as I know, she's like supportive of the show, but there was definitely a pretty strong divergence from I think her initial like intentions with the show and the adaptation of the book. And I guess like after so after season two, um, Michael Patrick King comes on board as like one of one of the producers director also writes a lot of episodes and his vision for the show is very much what it is now so he kind of like took the took the reins on like steering the show in in a slightly different direction than I think she had intended so I think she doesn't hate it from what I can tell but she maybe like doesn't agree with all of the decisions I guess it would probably be hard being a writer and seeing your work adapted Mm -hmm. I guess I'll never know (laughs) (laughs) Carrie ended up with Mr. Big in both the show and the book. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of like how they got there may have been a little like quite a bit different, but it it is kind of like this weird I got the impression they don't end up together in the book. 
Well, they like, they are still together in the epilogue. Or yeah, together but very unhappy. But yes, yeah, I think that I think yeah, because I was telling you about this Emma, how they yeah they end up together, and I was like, what? Uh, not a what? Uh, but yeah. very very unhappy. Like the tone is so different. Like from how they distrusting each other. Yeah. Um, feeling like unfulfilled, petty. <laughs> yeah, like very salty towards one another. Yeah, and that is quite different. I mean, in the show, it's very much the big love. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> comes sweeping her off her feet. So, but it is really interesting, like how much that tonal change make difference in how you appreciate each of the works, like the show. And- it was very interesting. Definitely not something I would have chosen to read. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think. I mean you're a diehard fan of the show and you love the show i wouldn't necessarily recommend this book because if you love the show and you want the book to be exactly like the show don't read the book (laughs) that would be that would be my opinion if you if you're curious about like kind of a different angle then yeah definitely Mm -hmm. definitely read the book and also i think it, it is really interesting to read this book and also kind of try to place yourself like at the time when it was published, at the time when these articles were coming out, um, because it was so popular. Like these columns gave Candace Bushnell that check that she could like rely on. That like literally, it it transformed her life and in a lot of ways. It was so 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 massively popular. So that was like an interesting thing for me to hold on to while reading it. Like yes, this is so different from the show. But, like, this was really popular for a reason. Yeah, it's interesting to think about that reason. I would love to speak to, like, somebody who had read the column, like, in the 90s and has watched the show and has the opposite, like, I don't like the show because it's not like the columns. Mm. I don't even know if we could find someone like that. But maybe they must be out there. If you're listening (laughs) and you read the New York Observer between 92 to 94 and you have an opinion, send us a post-it note. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> distill your opinion down into a brief few sentences that can fit on a square piece of paper um so one one thing that um kind of came up for me as i was like looking about i was looking up different reviews of this book um that were that were published at the time kind of like what what was the reception to it and it's so interesting because you will google sex in the city like the book you'll google anything related to the book and it's just you have so many hits that are like this is all about the show and i was actually looking for quotes from the book to to pull and i went to like this goodreads page and all of the quotes on there were attributed to candace bushnell but they were from the show like one of them was like never settle for anything less than butterflies i'm like carrie in the book wouldn't say that shit (laughs) she would not believe that but um i digress when i had to when i tried to google the book mm -hmm. i had to google it and then go to the TV show Wikipedia mm. and then find Candace Bushnell and then find the book. Yeah. Like it wouldn't show up on the first page. <laughs> yeah, no, the, yeah, exactly. Like the show has eclipsed a lot of, of the book, which I, I find really fascinating. Um, but when this book was released, it kind of popularized the subgenre of literature that I was really obsessed with for a period in time and is not a popular Term, but it really popularized this idea of chiclet. So literature written for women that's like unabashedly, I guess, like written for women. I, yeah, are either of you familiar with, with that genre? Bridget Jones is actually another really good example of a book that's kind of like fit underneath that umbrella. Yeah, I, I didn't know it was an actual genre. I mean, it makes sense. But I'm just thinking about like 
I suppose, yeah, they're probably more popular with women, but I wouldn't consider this like a, a book for women or a column for women. Yeah. It's just written by a woman. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that is a really interesting take, actually, because like you can imagine, again, when this was when this was released, when everything kind of came out, maybe that there was like kind of a different opinion in the air that like women were reading it and being like, oh, yeah, like this, this is this is for me. This is like mm. way more of what I'm interested in. And now like times are very different. And um, reading it, is, it's not it doesn't feel quite the same way because I think there's been a, a pretty big cultural shift that way. Oh, yeah. In 96, this was probably a big deal. Yeah. Not that it wouldn't be now, but I guess it's, you know, when I think about like something made for women or for men, like, I don't know, I'd be very hesitant to put that label on this, like over half the book is about men. Yeah. I think there's like in literature and media for very much like the relationship and dating scene, it's like that's a topic that traditionally seen as for women. It's like that is the goal, like get into a relationship, get married, like, and, and, and it is a big theme of the show, it seems less so in the book. But I think that's, it's just like, it's just a topic that even nowadays is very like targeted at women, which is so weird because, you know, relationships and dating are things that, I mean, not everybody, but like most people deal with. But like, why has this always like for women? But it's like everyone and a lot of people are doing it. Yeah. <laughs> so why I is guess this like, a topic that's aimed at women? Is there like a show that's about sex and relationships that's like for men that's a great question okay i haven't watched either of these shows maybe maybe you have now it escapes me what's entourage oh yeah i watched entourage yeah. <laughs> would you would you say that that's that hits that vibe a little bit closer for men i haven't i haven't seen the show personally okay so i got like a difficult position about entourage like i i loved it mm-hmm. when i was like in high school university like i bought all of the seasons on dvd i went through the season the season or the series probably like three four times it's kind of difficult watching it now just because it's so sexist Mm. and i guess it like kind of scratches that itch i suppose of like friendship and relationships and sex and but it's also just like a product of its time it's like a bro-y show Mm. (laughs) it's really bro-y you're big and his friends if mr big had friends (laughs) Yeah, which we have established Mr. Big does not have friends. Not a single friend. <laughs> what was the other one? You were like Entourage and... And Looking, which is a little bit different because it's about Jonathan Groff. Um, oh. I didn't watch the show, but uh, he's, he's looking for love, but it's um, with, other, with other gay men. Yeah, I love Jonathan Groff. Interesting. I didn't know that that was a thing. I'd watch that. I do, yeah, I don't know if it strikes that, that same tone for Sin City, but that is a really interesting observation like why why is this topic so heavily made you know for for women um and for that that kind of audience because we've also established that like lots of people love sex in the city regardless of gender Mm -hmm. um there's like kind of those resident resonant points that that really hit for for everyone and i guess that kind of makes me think of like you know the genre of romantic comedy in films and how different it is now compared to what was coming out in the 90s and the early 2000s. Like now when I watch a lot of romantic comedies, not all of them, but I find it so hard to find a really good one that isn't like too cartoony or, or kind of like over the top that, yeah, that kind of like scratches that like that itch, um, but is also like good and enjoyable and like fun, fun to watch mm-hmm. and like rich, I guess, in, in what it's talking about. 
think when we watch those romantic comedies from like the late 90s and early 2000s, almost like you're watching them as a spectacle, like it, because it's kind of so ridiculous and over the top and very like reflective of its time. I think that is what makes it enjoyable is the the Y2K of it all. <laughs> Whereas like, I mean, I don't really actually watch a lot of modern like romance or romantic comedies or stuff like that, but it it's it, it's hard to scratch that same itch. Like it just doesn't, I almost view like those older ones as like camp a little bit, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Oh, totally. Yeah, like definitely a spectacle of, <laughs> of like a place in a time. Yes. Less so like, oh, this is what I aspire to in a relationship and more just like, wow, that's very, very silly. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, like those movies did have an effect on us on like our unrealistic expectations of relationships. Was it you I was talking about? Romantic comedies made me believe that. The person that I liked would yes. When we were watching the wedding episode, we like we totally had this belief. I I think you and I sort of shared this belief because we uh, shared it the other night. But that you know the person that you liked would just happen to show up at the right place, like where you are at, without knowing where you were, and and sweep you off your feet and like ask you on that date. Like they would just happen to be there. But like that doesn't happen in real life. No, no, that that absolutely shaped me. Like, okay, so one of my favorite romantic comedies is Sixteen Candles. Oh, um, very racist. Uh, well, I don't love it for that reason <laughs> at all. But there, there's this idea that like the main character, so she turns sixteen, everybody forgets her birthday, but the guy she likes doesn't. Mm-hmm. He likes her back, and he kind of, um, you know, through through it all, he shows up for her. He's like waiting for her. She she's at her sister's wedding. He's kind of like waiting for her, like at the end. Like just that idea that the person that you like can also like kind of read your mind and like is making every effort to like try to like be there for you and will just show up like when you least expect it when you most want them to. That is very unrealistic. Like, how did he know that she was at that church? <laughs> I think this is such an interesting topic because how being inundated with these things like affects you where growing up even like I think I had to do some like conscious work to unpack this is because romantic comedies and everything told me that like as a man you have to pursue and like convince women that you're what they want (laughs) which is like a very unhealthy way of looking at it. And like, oh, yeah, I know you're saying no, but like I can convince you. Right. Yeah. And then that scene is romantic of like the, yeah. the convincing. Oh, like, this guy just gave up too quickly. Yeah. Yeah. If you if you really love her, you just got to go for her. You yeah. got to keep trying. I got to show up outside her house with a boombox, right? And play music <laughs> until she comes out her window. Yes. Yes. Right? Like that's, that's harassment. <laughs> yes. That is not consent culture that we want to to perpetuate. And it yeah, it is really interesting, like, yeah, just the expectations on both sides of that creates. Like, for men, you get that narrative of, like, you have to pursue, like, keep trying, like, you got to get the girl or whatever. Um, and for women, well, you're going to be pursued. Like, the, the right guy is going to come, like, going to show up for you. Like, you just, you got to keep looking. You got to keep waiting. got to drop some hints. Like, you can't be direct and clear with what you want. You can't say yes right away or else he won't be interested. You have to play the, mm-hmm. the hard to get thing. And then, of course, like, queer folks, like, there's absent, absence. Yeah. I think there's there's more, like, literature and, um, and film coming out now that addresses, like, queer relationships and love stories. For sure. But 
at that time, absolutely not. Just like totally absent from the conversation. I guess like the show, well, less so the show apparently, but the book maybe is just like the, the antithesis of that. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. Which I know you guys are going to laugh at me because this happens every time we talk about a book or a movie. But the more we talk about it, I'm like, oh, the more I appreciate it. Maybe <laughs> maybe that's the purpose. Maybe that's what this is going to be. You know what? I, I kind of have to agree. Like, I remember finishing the book and was like, I don't want to read that again. Yeah. But now, like, yeah, having this conversation and kind of, like, taking, I don't know, some more pieces and into context. I'm like, actually, yeah. Like, maybe, maybe I do <laughs> like it for, like, how different and... Yeah, how different it is. I guess the context is for, for all the listeners. Every time we have like a book club, I'm like, I hate this book. <laughs> oh, wait, maybe that's interesting. And then by the end of it, I go, five stars. I loved it. <laughs> I love it. I love the dev turnaround over the course of the meeting. And we achieved it today. We sure did. I would give the book three and a half stars out of five. Worth reading. Yeah. Yeah. Not terrible. Interesting, especially as a companion piece to the show. I, I think I would agree with that rating, three and a half. I think I, I would have given it like a solid three. So I moved up a half point. Sometimes, you know, you just need a half. <laughs> I moved it up a full point. I was coming in with a 2.5. <laughs> but yeah, something like definitely, yeah. Suspend your expectations that it's exactly like the show. It definitely isn't, but it's worth a read all the same to transport yourself to that time and place. But yeah, thank you so much for being here with us, Devin. Thanks for having me. Um, and for our listeners, thank you so much for listening. Please let us know if you read the book as a result of, of this. We would also love to hear your opinions. Um, you can rate, review, and subscribe. Um, please hit that, smash that subscribe button. <laughs> smash that rate button only on five stars. <laughs> Uh, don't hate us is very intentional please no i'm just kidding um be honest but um if you're so inclined dm us a post-it note dm us uh you know your thoughts in the book your thoughts in the show um especially if you're one of those og fans we want to hear oh yeah we want to hear if you read the column in the early 90s like yeah send us a line yeah and follow us on instagram and twitter at don't hate us pod we'll yeah next time (laughs) will be a time to listen to us again (laughs) cupid has flown the co-op yet again